Hey, my name is Josh Walker. I'm one of the owners of REIT Investing. And today we're going to talk about some of our core beliefs, some of the things that we've developed over time that kind of guide our investment strategies, our general financial strategies, and just some of our thoughts around money. So first of all, think of what you're good at. Uh, the name of this podcast is Good at Money. And everybody's generally good at something, right? Some people feel like they're innately good at math. Some people are really good at being creative. Some people are good at leadership, soft skills, those kinds of things. But a lot of people feel like they are innately bad at money. You hear it, I hear it a lot, where people, they will just straight up say, hey, I'm, I'm just not really good with money. And that is 100% a false belief. Nobody has to be bad with money. It's just something that's that's been forced into their heads that is a false belief. And ev everybody can be good at money and everybody should care enough to become good at money because it touches so many of the things in your life. You shouldn't have your life revolve around money. That's not what we're talking about. But if you have a few general principles that can guide you, it can ease a lot of the things that would otherwise be pretty problematic. When you have a situation that money can solve, those problems can either become very, very big when there is not enough of it to solve that problem, or they can become a little bump in the road when there's a, an abundance of it. So there's nothing magical about being good at money. There are just a few things that a lot of people generally don't, don't know because a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. Money is still a thing that a lot of people refuse to talk about. They don't think people should talk about money. They don't want people to, to, to know what's going on in their own personal finances, which is, is fine. But I think the more we talk about money, the more people can learn from other people's mistakes and other people's wins. And that's one of the major goals of this podcast. So the first thing from a core belief standpoint I want to talk about is the stock market. The stock market is one of the most publicized and built up hyped ways to invest that has ever existed on the planet. Um, there, there's just, it's become innate. When people say investing, they generally think of the stock market. So one of our core beliefs is that the stock market is a flawed vehicle for you to invest in for the purposes of retirement. Um, it, it, it's, it doesn't lend itself to future streams of cash flow. And there are a number of other things that make it a flawed vehicle. So one of those is it's wildly unpredictable. Um, it becomes more and more volatile by the day there are a number of things driving the stock market that are not from a financial foundation. There are individual stocks that are driven up and down by, it's all based on sort of supply and demand, right? When people take a position in a stock, they, they buy stock that will drive the value up. When they sell stock, that'll drive the value down. But the things that cause people to buy and sell those stocks and the people that that do those things that actually cause a movement um they're not 
all and, and maybe even mostly based on the financial status of that company. Um, no one, no one truly knows enough to feel comfortable relying on the stock market. And that's why even people like Warren Buffett advocate for mass diversification. It's because people generally can't trust it. You don't know what in individual sectors are going to do from day to day, month to month, you name it. It's just extremely, extremely unpredictable. Uh, I've known people who were officers of publicly traded companies. So they are, they are in the day-to-day -day business. They are as knowledgeable about that company and about its stock as anyone on the planet. And there were days when their stock would go up by a significant amount or down by a significant amount. And they had no idea why they knew somebody, if it went up, they knew somebody normally a large institution took a big position in their stock and that drove it up. It was a big buying day for their stock. But when you ask them why there was, it wasn't just that they didn't know why there was no reason for that to happen. Um, they, they knew that somebody took a position. They didn't know who, and they hadn't announced anything about the stock and they had not changed anything in a very long time about how they did their operations. Another thing is that there are absolutely no tax advantages from the stock market, inherent to the stock market. There are some perceived tax advantages from things like IRAs and 401ks. And we'll talk about those in a little bit, but simply investing in the stock market, whether it's into individual stocks or mutual funds, 401ks, IRAs, you name it. There are no inherent tax advantages with the stock market or those stocks themselves. The other thing is that this is not the stock market of even five or 10 years ago, which brings up one of the major flaws when people try to find a basis for what they think their returns are going to be. They're, they're banking on some sort of appreciation over time of those stocks that they're invested in. And they base that on historic performance. And people will say, well, yeah, if you take the last 50 years and look at the average in the stock market over that time, on average per year, it increases by whatever percentage that is. Maybe it's 6%, maybe it's 9%, somewhere it's generally but you know, in, in that range. But this is simply not anywhere close to the same stock market that existed five, 10 years ago, much less 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right now you have bots that are trading in massive amounts of money on a f every fraction of a second. Beyond that, you've got government officials who are trading with information. They're making their trades based on information that you don't have and you will never have. They know bills are going to be passed. It is somehow legal for them to trade on that information before the bill is passed. That's how they go into these hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar a year jobs and come out of these jobs with a net wealth of 
100, 200 million dollars. You also have a whole lot of social factors driving these stocks up and down that have nothing to do with the financial status of that stock. Uh, beyond that, th there's a lot of things involved in social media and there can become kind of a mob mentality for or against other stocks that again, may have nothing to do with the, the foundation from a financial standpoint of that stock. You, you look at GameStop as a really good example. There was this massive movement, movement uh, generated from social media to buy that stock to hurt the short sellers, which was an interesting and very entertaining thing, but it, it truly had nothing to do with the financials of GameStop. So for all of those reasons, it's not just one thing, but there are a myriad of reasons that you just cannot justify looking at historic performance and saying, well, yeah, that's what this stock is going to do over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. It's just a, a flawed fundamental thought process. Um, one of the other core beliefs that we have is that you should invest in real assets, real tangible assets that you can go touch, that you can put your hands on. There are really two main reasons that you should invest in real assets, might add a third. So one of them is that they lend themselves to cash flow. These assets, real estate is the easiest example. It's the most prolific example. We love investing in real estate. We love advocating for others to invest in real estate. But people generally need real estate to live. They will pay you monthly rent to live in these assets, and that generates ongoing cash flow. It creates a passive. We can argue about whether or not it's truly passive. That's not really the point. But it generates a, an additional stream of income for you that can theoretically exist forever. Uh, the other thing is that there are tremendous tax advantages from investing in real assets. Again, real estate is a good example, but it's not just real estate. Any real asset, you can generally create depreciation on paper. So that asset is going to lose value on paper while at the same time providing you with cash flow and appreciating in value in real life. And so when you take that depreciation on paper, you can deduct that amount from the income that you're going to pay taxes on, and it can significantly eliminate your tax burden, mitigate your tax burden. At, that, and at some levels, it can eliminate it entirely. Your tax, your, the, the, the amount that you pay in taxes over your life will almost always be the biggest expense that you have. So when you're looking at how can you generate wealth, you should attack it in two ways. You've got offense and you've got defense. You want to create passive streams of income or even active streams of income, but you also want to go on defense and protect that those outgoing expenses. Taxes being the biggest expense that you have, you should develop a strategy to mitigate and ideally eliminate that. Another core belief that we have is that it is better to retire on cash flow than to retire on some big nest egg of mutual funds or stocks that you're going to later pull from. And essentially, I mean, the, the general thought process is there's a thing called the 4% rule. So over your lifetime, you, you acquire more and more 
stocks, you have a bigger and bigger portfolio, maybe it's mutual funds and index funds and those kinds of things. And it gets to the point where you, you believe you can uh, withdraw 4% every year. And that portfolio, that nest egg generally won't drop too much in value, which is fine theoretically, but the thought that that's, that's how I'm going to live my post W2 life is pulling out four five, 6%, whatever percent that you see, you're going to pay taxes with no advantages on that amount of money that you pull out and just hope that it exists longer than you do. You're hoping that it exists and, and doesn't deplete itself before you die. I would so much rather create all these, all these streams of income, streams of cash flow that I know are just going to be there indefinitely. Things can make them fluctuate a little bit, but even again, using real estate as an example, there are fluctuations in the real estate market, no doubt. But when, when your stream of income is dependent upon rent, just because the value of certain asset classes within real estate goes up or down, rents generally are much less affected. And the, the, the time impact, there's a significant delay before it hits the actual rent that you're able to charge on those assets. Um, beyond that, you should not be afraid to take complete control of your finances. That is one of the biggest things that you lose when you invest your money in mutual funds and 401ks and IRAs. Um, especially these, these um, mutual funds that are managed by somebody else. You're paying them some amount of money, some fee to manage your finances. And you, you truly just don't know exactly what they're thinking when they're, they're taking different positions in and out of certain stocks that make up that mutual fund. One of the things that investing in real assets, whether it's directly, whether it's through syndications, however you want to do it, is that you have the ability to have complete control. You can do all of the research up front that you want to do in that specific asset, whether it's the asset class, whether it's the location, whether it's who's going to operate it, you can do all of that research completely on your own and determine if that's the vehicle that you want to invest in. And what this does is it gives you power. It, ge it gives you the ability. This isn't investing in assets is not overly complicated. The stock market is horribly complicated. Like I said earlier, no one truly can predict or even understand why certain stocks may go up or down in the future. It is a much, much more predictable, much less volatile world when you're doing this through real assets. Uh, some of the other things that are related to this, uh, to, to taking complete control of your finances are things like people ask a lot of times, should I pay off my house? That is the wrong question to ask. The question you want to ask is how can I best use the equity in my house to get to where I want to be from a financial standpoint? And so there are a number of options that you have available to you. Maybe in the world that you live in and the life that you want to create, you want absolutely no debt. 
And that should be the answer. I'm going to have equity in my house, but I'm going to pay it off because I can't sleep well at night with any amount of debt. On the flip side of that, if you are willing to have some amount of debt tied to your house and you know that that's going to create an expense, you're going to have to make that mortgage payment, make that HELOC payment. We'll talk a lot about HELOCs in a separate episode, but a home equity line of credit, you can then use that equity from your house, pull that money out, and maybe you're paying anywhere from traditionally 5% to right now we're in the 8 9% world, but you can you can put that money into an investment whether it's an apartment complex, mobile home park, you name it, that's generating significantly more of that, more than that each year. And so you've got this kind of arbitrage uh, opportunity. And so you can then have that deal. The way you, the way you want to structure something like this is you take money out of your house, the equity out of your house, you put it in a deal that you've done all kinds of researching, you know, everything about it. And that deal is now paying that loan off. And then when it pays it off or pays it down, you then pull that money back out and you put it in a second deal. And now you have two deals paying that same note off. And you can keep that going and create a pretty awesome snowball. So knowing things like what a HELOC is, what are the ins and outs of it? Um, what is recasting your mortgage? What does that mean? And again, we'll, we'll do a separate podcast on all of these things involved in what does it look like to maximize the equity in your house. That's all we're going to cover in this one. We'll continue this episode after this. But from a core belief standpoint, understand that the stock market is a flawed vehicle. Invest in real assets.